the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The world is a complicated place. You need someone to expose the political fakers, fixers, and takers, and to cut through the mindless chatter and misdirection to help you make sense of it all. That person is Dan Proft, and this is The Dan Proft Show. Welcome to another edition of The Dan Proft Show. Thank you so much for joining us. You can follow us at danproftshow.com. That is the website. You also find podcasts there, as you do on Spotify and iTunes. Twitter, at Dan Proft and at Dan Proft Show. FBI, DNI got together, had a press conference yesterday to inform the public about efforts by America's enemies, specifically the Iranians and the Russians, to interfere with the administration of the November election, specifically with respect to obtaining voter registration data for the purposes of spreading agitprop. Here's uh, John Ratcliffe, Director of National Intelligence, explaining. We have identified that two foreign actors, Iran and Russia, have taken specific actions to influence public opinion relating to our elections. First, we have confirmed that some voter registration information has been obtained by Iran and separately by Russia. This data can be used by foreign actors to attempt to communicate false information to registered voters that they hope will cause confusion, sow chaos, and undermine your confidence in American democracy. To that end, we have already seen Iran sending spoofed emails designed to intimidate voters, incite social unrest, and damage President Trump. You may have seen some reporting on this in the last 24 hours, or you may have even been one of the recipients of those emails. Additionally, Iran is distributing other content to include a video that implies that individuals could cast fraudulent ballots, even from overseas. This video and any claims about such allegedly fraudulent ballots are not true. Mm. FBI Director Christopher Wray added uh, the alacrity with which the FBI is pursuing any intelligence on efforts to interfere with the election. We are not going to tolerate foreign interference in our elections or any criminal activity that threatens the sanctity of your vote or undermines public confidence in the outcome of the election. When we see indications of foreign interference or federal election crimes, we're going to aggressively investigate and work with our partners to quickly take appropriate action. It seems uh, very much like uh, in 2016, even more so in 2020, with the nature of the push for uh, all mail-in voting in certain jurisdictions, that um, as much talk as there is about uh, the threats that foreign interests have in disrupting the election, trying to manipulate the election, trying to manipulate voters' attitudes, that it's really uh, the domestic issues that are preeminent, isn't it? By the way, the emails in question were presented as as ways to this was a, a, apparently an effort to intimidate non-Trump voters, intimidate voters that uh, the Iranians believed were 
Biden voters effectively with these threatening emails ostensibly from Trump supporters, uh, the Proud Boys, to cast a bad light on Trump. And that was what uh, Ratcliffe was referencing. For more on uh, this topic and many others, we're pleased to be joined by Ben Williamson, Deputy Assistant to the Press and Senior Advisor to Chief of Staff Mark Meadows and Senior Communications Advisor as well. Ben, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Hey, Danny, how are you? So uh, it was uh, an important uh, presser, uh, the joint uh, DNI and FBI director remarks there, uh, because it just uh, makes it clear to the American people that the Trump administration is serious about interdicting efforts to interfere by enemies of America with our election. Well, you're absolutely right. Uh, applause to Director Ratcliffe, Director Ray, uh, for hosting the presser last night. This is part of the effort that we're making to be transparent with the American people moving into an election, making sure that they know that their voters secure, making sure that they know that we're addressing this critical issue. I want your listeners to know we're on top of this. Uh, This is an administration that has spent and invested millions, if not billions of dollars in election security, making sure our systems are secure, making sure we're holding foreign actors accountable for any evidence we see of foreign interference. And that's exactly what you saw last night, Director Ratcliffe and Director Ray laying out the information for the American people so that they can be aware of what's going on. I love what John Ratcliffe said last night, which is the best weapon we can provide you, the American people, to respond to foreign interference is the truth, is information. And that's what we did last night. That's what we'll continue to do. Uh, We're on top of this and and moving forward. This is the kind of thing you're going to see from this president and his administration. Uh, Nancy Pelosi continues to uh, draw red lines, then erase them in terms of ultimatums, uh, deadlines for any COVID relief package before the election. And Mitch McConnell seems to be losing interest in uh, any COVID relief action before the election as well. Where's the White House on all this? As far as Speaker Pelosi's position on these stimulus negotiations, you know the scene in, in, uh, in Charlie Brown where Sally in the theme song holds the football out and Charlie Brown goes to kick it and he goes flying up in the air when Sally keeps pulling the ball out from under him. That's kind of what it's felt like in these stimulus negotiations where you have a Speaker of the House that has dragged these negotiations out for so long where we've wondered if, if they even really want a deal uh, at all. What I will say is that the Senate continues to put targeted relief on the floor. I mean, a month ago, I believe it was exactly a month ago, they voted on a couple packages of $500 billion of direct relief to the American people. The Senate Democrats blocked it. We've offered as much as $1.88 trillion from the White House. The House Democrats have said no. They're insisting on around $2.3 trillion. Much of it is not germane or related to coronavirus relief. And we suspect the reason for that is politics, that, that Democrats aren't interested in injecting money into the economy close to an election because it, would, it wouldn't help them get votes. But nonetheless, we're going to keep working. I mean, Secretary Mnuchin is going to continue talking to Speaker Pelosi. We are hopeful we can get an agreement at least on language here by the end of the week. Uh, Americans are hurting and they deserve us to keep working whether or not politics comes into play. They deserve for their representatives to put politics aside and pass something. And even if Democrats aren't going to do that, what I can promise you is that this White House is going to make every effort to do that nonetheless. Uh, One point of order here. I mean, I just can't let this go by. I can't let you disgrace the memory of Charles Schultz. It was it was Lucy in the Peanuts. Uh, oh, Lucy, not, not, not Sally. So uh, I'll accept your apology uh, and we can move on to more productive things. Uh, but, you know, I, I just have to demand an apology for that. Uh, it's been a while. I'm out of the Charlie Brown game. Thank you for the apology. Yeah. <laughs> 
so, you know, this is a political thing, but it's a legal thing. I'm talking about Hunter Biden's laptop and the news that the FBI subpoena of a laptop and hard drive purportedly belonging to Hunter Biden came in connection with a money laundering investigation in late 2019, according to documents obtained by Fox News, verified by multiple federal law enforcement officials who reviewed them. It's just remarkable. At the same time, the president was being impeached for raising this from the perspective of House Democrats for raising the specter of the Biden Inc. dealings in Ukraine. The FBI was ostensibly investigating money laundering schemes that may have involved Hunter Biden in Ukraine. Well, the more information that comes to light on this, Dan, the more disturbing the situation is. I mean, the report in Fox News yesterday from uh, Brooks Singman, I believe it was, was was disturbing on a number of levels where you continue to see more and more information come out. It seems like President Trump was impeached for Hunter Biden's crime. Uh, This is a critical issue. And listen, I want to assure your listeners that the White House's main focus, the president's main focus is on their jobs, their livelihoods, making sure they put food on the table. Since I've seen some, some feedback over the last 48 hours regarding the Hunter Biden issue. But I want them to understand this is a critical issue, too. When you talk about government officials, use their official positions to enrich themselves and their families. That's a problem. That's something that people need to understand and they need to know about. Because when you look at particularly the situation you're in or we're in as a country, uh, where we need everyone focused on one goal, which is getting Americans back to work, it's something that people need to know about. If politicians in the past have put themselves and enriching their family above above Americans having their own jobs and having their own prosperity. It's, it's a disturbing situation, something that certainly uh, needs to be held accountable. And, and the president has uh, law enforcement officers working on that to make sure that Americans, uh, like John Rackless said, have the best weapon they can to evaluate the situation. That's the truth. Has That's he, the, has yeah, he, the, what we're committed to getting them. Has he spoken to FBI Director Ray about this? Has he asked him about uh, anything related to uh, the Hunter Biden laptop and what the FBI has or has not been doing on this matter? Dan, I don't believe so. I don't know of any conversation, but generally the president, we at the White House generally stay out of ongoing investigations. We do get updates periodically through normal procedures and through proxies over different channels, but generally we don't but, speak to the director about the ongoing investigation. I understand that, but but did you just learn there was potentially an ongoing investigation based on Fox News reporting? Because uh, with the New York Post reporting eight days ago, the impression was that nobody knew that the FBI had this, or uh, at least until the New York Post reporting, and then nobody knew what, if anything, the FBI was doing with it, that whether there was well, an investigation. Well, what I can tell you is that I and the people that I work with, we learned through the media. First time that we heard about it was from the Fox News report that they had been investigating this issue, something that was absolutely shocking. Uh, and it's something that we'll be monitoring moving forward, because the more that comes out about this story, uh, the more you find that the swamp ran deep uh, through the Biden family and certainly with this Hunter Biden laptop. So something we're monitoring, something our law enforcement agencies are on top of it. And the truth will ultimately come out is what we know. Well, we, we hope uh, that the truth is ultimately that out of D.C. at least. Ben Williamson, Deputy Assistant to the President, Senior Advisor to Chief of Staff Meadows, Senior Comms Advisor as well. Ben, thanks for joining us again. Appreciate it. Thank you. Political fakers, fixers, and takers. He's Dan Proft, and this is The Dan Proft Show. Welcome back to the show. Uh, Turning our attention to the latest developments in the Biden Inc. saga, and there are developments. Uh, Yesterday, 
Joe Biden <laughs> carefully selecting, or at least his campaign team carefully selecting, a reporter that he would allow to ask any question related to his business dealings and Hunter's uh, selected a uh, one of the mindless drones that are employed by network affiliates uh, in big cities and small markets. This uh, from Wisconsin. Ron Johnson put out a statement on Homeland Security letterhead saying Hunter Biden, together with other Biden family members, profited off the Biden name. Is there any legitimacy to Senator Johnson's claims? None whatsoever. This is the same garbage Rudy Giuliani, Trump's henchman. It's the last it's effort in this desperate campaign to smear me and my family. Even the man who served with him on that committee a former nominee for the Republican Party said there's no basis to this. And, you know, and all and the vast majority of the intelligence people have come out and said there's no basis at all. Ron should be ashamed of himself. Well, a few things here. One, uh, the person he's referring to uh, that sits on uh, Ron Johnson's uh, Senate Intelligence Committee. Um, that's Mitt Romney he's referring to. I don't know why he can't remember Mitt Romney's name. Mormon guy, ran for president, guy on the committee with Ron Johnson, former nominee. Mitt Romney. That was something Mitt Romney said, that the Hunter Biden investigation was not a legitimate role for government back in mid-September. I wonder, given what the New York Post has reported over the last eight days, if Mitt Romney would like to revise and extend his remarks. That reference may turn out to be a bit stale. Number one, number two. Those uh, Democrat administration intel officials who said this smacks of Russian disinformation also admitted they had no evidence. That uh, separates them from the New York Post, which is building quite the evidentiary case. And it's not Trump and his henchmen, quote unquote, uh, or garbage for that matter. It's Troy Bobolinsky, who is a former business partner of Hunter Biden, Joe Biden and Joe's brother Jim in this China energy deal. That references a 10 percent equity stake for the big guy. Bobolinsky confirmed that he was on that email, uh, that uh, the big guy is indeed Joe Biden. And he also said in his statement that Hunter Biden referred to his father as, quote, my chairman and frequently referenced asking him for his sign off or advice on various potential deals that we were discussing, unquote. Continuing, Bobolinsky, I've seen Vice President Biden saying he never talked to Hunter about his business. I've seen firsthand that that's not true because it wasn't just Hunter's business. They said they were putting the Biden family name and its legacy on the line. So that's one of Joe Biden's son's business partners. And as it's argued, Joe Biden's business partners by extension. Hmm. And what's more plausible thinking about this? Hunter Biden, who has followed his father around for his entire adult life in terms of getting jobs, as Michael Brendan Doherty reports in The New York Post, going all the way back to uh, him getting a job at MBNA after his uh, MBNA, that was a bundler for his father, financial bundler for his father's reelection campaigns when he was a senator for Delaware. Michael Brendan Doherty describing how Joe Biden basically did the bidding of MBNA. While he was in the Senate, an MBA and MBNA executive helped arrange the senior Biden. That would be Joe, the big guy. His acquisition of his multi-million dollar spread in Delaware. Hunter Biden then moved to the Clinton administration and then back to MBNA as a consultant, which is Michael Brendan Doherty says is often a code word for a guy who knows powerful people. Right. So it's the cash for access game. 
He would go on to work for Eudora Global, an investment firm founded by another big cash bundler for Joe Biden, and even for a hedge fund founded by his uncle, Joe Biden's brother. Later, he had a high pay little work job at Amtrak, federally funded. Uh, And then Joe Biden's the vice president and Hunter Biden begins his storied career in global dealmaking. Given uh, Hunter Biden's various struggles in life, shall we say, and I'm not passing judgment on here, I'm describing what is. And his thin resume in terms of qualifications or experience in particular for these deals in Ukraine and China, Kazakhstan, perhaps elsewhere. What is more plausible? Is it more plausible that Joe Biden never talked to his son, Hunter, that, uh, you know, Hunter's a real business impresario and, and he's doing his own thing and he sees all the angles. He doesn't need the old man's help. He's got it handled. Is that the more likely scenario or is it more likely that what Troy, Tony Bobolinsky said is exactly true. That somebody who has fed off of his family name for his entire adult life would be running potential deals or opportunities to do deals past his father, the vice president, every step of the way, because, of course, the father being the vice president, having 40 years in the Senate, has a better understanding of the relationships, the players, the dynamics in foreign lands and in industries in which by in which Hunter Biden knows nothing. What, what what do you think is the more plausible scenario here? Oh, by the way, a few other developments that are worth mentioning, especially this one. The FBI subpoena of a laptop and hard drive purportedly belonging to Hunter Biden came in connection with a money laundering investigation in late 2019 according to documents obtained by Fox News and verified by multiple federal law enforcement officials who reviewed them. The authenticity of those documents was confirmed. They were signed by FBI Special Agent Joshua Wilson. The interesting thing about all the reporting on this, Joe Biden, whether it's Fox or New York Post, is the specificity. It's the uh, 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 the detail and the transparency of sources, uh, unlike so much of the Russian hoax reporting. But here again, so now we find out, incredibly, that when President Trump was being impeached by House Democrats for raising the specter of Biden corruption in Ukraine, that the FBI was investigating, well, the FBI was involved in a money laundering investigation in which they sought Hunter Biden's laptop. And so now we have seeming confirmation that an an investigation has been ongoing That includes it may not be specifically targeted at, but includes Hunter Biden for the better part of a year. But this is just Trump and his henchmen. Oh, by the way, on the emails, Secret Service records revealed by uh, Ron Johnson and Chuck Grassley uh, this week confirm the details found in emails about Hunter Biden's travels. For example, one email that was reported in The New York Post sent from Hunter Biden to one of his business partners, Devin Archer, in 2014, refers to a trip to Houston Uh, Secret Service records released by the two senators corroborate the details of those trips. Hunter Biden to Houston on that date in question. Uh, Another email, senior advisor with the Burisma that involves the Burisma advisor that allegedly did meet with Joe Biden at Hunter's arrangement. Uh, Secret Service records report a travel entry for Hunter Biden to Lake Como, Italy, 
that is consistent with the date in the email to this uh, Vadim Posharsky from Burisma and other such confirmations of that sort of detail. But we're supposed to cling to the uh, D.C. press corps narrative that this is a Russian disinformation campaign, carefully orchestrated, carefully crafted Russian disinformation campaign. I don't think that's going to hold up for very much longer, beginning with tonight. This is Dan Proft. Blessed is the one who changed Your power and your beauty, Mary Blessed is the millionaire Who shares your wedding day Listen to the podcast of the show at danproftshow.com Welcome back to the show, and uh, don't forget, as uh, soon as the presidential debate ends, taking your calls, getting your reactions live, 888-291-2222 is the call in number, 888-291-2222. In the interim, wanted to talk uh, a little bit about uh, the um, latest and greatest data and developments uh, associated with COVID-19, uh, beginning with uh, the fact that the COVID death rate, even as cases have risen and fallen state by state, jurisdiction to jurisdiction, 11 weeks of decline in the COVID daily death rate in the United States. Uh, Associated with that, and this is NPR reporting, a a study out of New York University's Grossman School of Medicine finds that uh, mortality has dropped among hospitalized patients by 18 percentage points by almost a factor of four since the pandemic began. Patients in the study had a 25% 0.6% chance of dying at the start of the pandemic. They now have a 7.6% chance. Now uh, it's noted two things to note. One, this is one single health system, the New York health system. Two is that the 7.6% fatality rate among hospitalized COVID-19 patients is still high compared with other diseases. But again, then you have to get into the other contributing factors, the comorbidities and so forth. And nonetheless, that shows great progress, just as we have made great progress over the last six months in so many other areas in terms of understanding and addressing this virus. Oh, by the way, where we've made the least amount of progress is rationality. Again, I cite the NPR report. Are the risks of reopening schools exaggerated? Uh, This just in NPR is starting to recognize some of the data and actually listen to what it seems to me a burgeoning consensus among medical professionals, uh, public health professionals, doctors, that children should be in schools. The American Academy of uh, Pediatrics has weighed in. So many of the leading lights in epidemiology and public health have weighed in, including, I don't know, 20-something, 20,000-something-odd public health professionals and, and medical doctors who signed the Great Barrington Declaration. Danielle Dooley in the NPR piece, she's the medical director at Children's National Hospital in D.C. As a pediatrician, I am really seeing the negative impacts of these school closures on children, citing, among other things, mental health problems, hunger, obesity due to inactivity, missing routine medical care. Going to school is really vital for children. They get their meals in school, their physical activity, their health care, their education, of course. For more on all of this, we're pleased to be joined again by Dr. Jonathan Ellen pediatrician, epidemiologist, public health academician, and the former CEO of a children's hospital as well, Johns Hopkins All Children's Hospital. Dr. Ellen, thanks for joining us again. Appreciate it. 
It's great to be back. So with respect to uh, two things, uh, one, the continued evidence that uh, we're doing a better job of uh, treating the infected, and two, we're not seeing uh, infections uh, uh, in school settings. Uh, Is there any case left for schools to be remote learning only? Um, not that I'm saying. I mean, if the data continue to support what we're saying, at least for um, primary school, that we're seeing, you know, people are not attributing, A, number one, lots of infections or actually death or severe illness to children. And two, we're not seeing the outbreak in teachers, which was the big concern that everybody had was that the elderly teachers right. would start getting infected. And, um, and that would actually be the consequence. And I guess the third was that they take it home to a home with a vulnerable person in the home. And again, I don't think from the best they're doing, and this gets back to our, one of our favorite concepts, what is the empirical data showing us? And we're not seeing the outbreak happening in the homes due to the schools opening. And, and, and this is uh, uh, yesterday was reported. Uh, we discussed it briefly. Brown University Research Group uh, that looked at uh, a couple of hundred thousand kids over 47 states and sees the uh, the infection rates among students as well as among adults in order of magnitude lower than in the general population. So if we're going to uh, exist at all in public settings, it seems like schools is, it makes uh, more sense than virtually any other public setting. And most public settings, I mean, my my non-scientific statement would be that most settings where people are trying to be cautious are having low outbreaks. I mm. mean, it's really, it, you know, if you go to a place where people are trying to prevent spread, you're going to get prevention of spread. If you go to a place where people aren't necessarily going out of their way to prevent it, it's not being prevented. Uh, but, and I think schools, they're being high vigilant. So. Sure. Uh, when we come back with uh, Dr. Ellen, I want to talk a little bit about that balance between um, uh, mandates and liberty, between stopping the spread and allowing people to live uh, more with Dr. Ellen right after this. Crisscrossed in the wrong direction, found myself in a conversation, from a missed connection. The more you listen, the more you'll know. This is is the Dan Proft Show. Welcome back to the show. We're speaking with Dr. Jonathan Ellen. He is a pediatrician, epidemiologist, public health academician, and the former CEO of Johns Hopkins All Children's Hospital. Dr. Ellen, I wanted to uh, run a case study by you, the case study being my home state of Illinois, where... The governor and the politicians here are moving to reverse openings of public spaces, bars, restaurants, gatherings of more than 25 people based on positivity rates, based strictly on caseload combined with positivity rates that the trigger that uh, they have come up with is that any particular region, if you surpass 8% COVID infection positivity, then we need to revert to earlier phases where society, including private establishments that are public places of accommodation, the restrictions on, on their ability to operate. Does that standard make sense to you? Does that approach to, quote unquote, slowing the spread make sense to you? 
Um, there's a couple points in there. One is it used to be 5%, and they've raised it up to 8%. I mean, the World Health is using 5%. It's gone up a bit. I think what you and I have talked about, the question is, first of all, should there be a threshold for what is the criteria for making such moves that are dis so disruptive to both the economy and people's personal lives? And I wrote a piece recently that I think you've seen around this idea of liberty and mandates. And it really came out of one of our conversations about thresholds. And we have had very little discussion about thresholds. And then the question is, what if the threshold should be based on? And I think that what I have been starting to argue, and I think you have and I have had some discussions, is that the positivity threshold may not, unless it correlates significantly with the mortality threshold that we were seeing earlier in the, in the pandemic, if it doesn't have that kind of correlation, then we have to really rethink whether we're making a threshold on the basis of what they call, would argue is a leading indicator, which is the COVID positivity rate, or we really have to wait for some threshold in the mortality, even if it's a lagging threshold, before we start taking such actions. And I think that's really been the argument is what is to have a rational policy, what are the thresholds? What kind of data do we need to reach those thresholds? Do people understand those thresholds? Have we had a discussion, an explicit discussion about those thresholds? And then once those thresholds are there, what is the most limiting or less disruptive steps you can take that you know will be empirical, that are empirically supported will make a difference in deaths? Yeah, I, I'm in, in your piece uh, at um, City Journal, city-journal.org, Mandates and Liberty, which I'll tweet out at Dan Prof Show, but you, you, you sound like a constitutional attorney applying strict scrutiny as the standard of analysis for uh, for for mandates and, and trying to the, the balancing test mandates and liberty. Uh, Dr. Ellen uh, putting on his uh, barrister hat here. But 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 I, but I think that's I think that's right. I think um, and that that's consistent with sort of people what people expected. So, so much of this is is not even medical or legal in terms of the, the requirement for expertise. It just goes to what you say here, what you write. Failure to get buy-in from the public by addressing these questions openly leads to inconsistent compliance and distrust of public health officials. That's just a common-sense statement, and we're seeing it play out in real time. Yeah. I mean, it's a conversation, you know, again, I keep being referential, but you and I have been talking about this exact point for six months, that to have a rational argument, you've got to have and understand that when you start telling people to disrupt their life in a mandated way, you know, they have to trust that, number one, you're trying to be as limiting as possible. And this idea of science versus non-science is not the issue. You and I have talked about that you've got to approach this like a person who's balancing, and that's what makes it rational, that what you get from the science about people dying or being sick what you get from the science about opiates and isolation and lack of schooling, you know, those two factors. And then you put in, you know, what can we do and how effective is what we do? And you put that all together and you have to make a rational argument. And what happens becomes so politicized and been politicized from the beginning that if you don't do 100% what the science says, you don't believe in science. And if you sort of completely reject the science, then you're not, you know, then that's a problem. So somewhere there's a balance. And part of that balance is having thresholds. Right, right. Otherwise, it's there's just no way out of this, right? I mean, we're just going to do this in perpetuity. Uh, exactly. I, I, and, and, and it really does seem there are some people, I think, you know, this hasn't been said explicitly by any politician that I've seen, but, but, but the way they behave leads people to believe that we can eliminate this in, uh, virus 
completely. Like we can get down to zero yeah. infections. The people, I think people, some people believe that. Yeah, or zero deaths. Or, which zero, or zero deaths, right. Uh, it's I w- not going to happen. It's not going to happen for a long time. Uh, I want to get to your reaction to uh, another uh, example of um, what I find problematic. And, of course, this comes from my home state of Illinois again, because this is the land of things that are problematic. Uh, The governor here said that we've seen the FDA, the CDC and the federal government has been completely politicized when it comes to COVID-19. Therefore, uh, for any vaccine that would be presented as safe and effective, He is going to do the state of Illinois under Governor Pritzker, apparently, is going to do independent verification, including a number of trials across demographics to ensure that whatever it is that we distribute in the state will be safe. Um, Is there any reason that states would need to engage in redundant trials after FDA CDC clearance on a potential vaccine? No. I mean, I think that um, as long as the FDA is explicit about their criteria for granting emergency use, there was a whole discussion about whether their guidance that they were giving to the manufacturers was ever going to make it out of the White House, and apparently in some form that it did. And, you know, there's a nice New England Journal of Medicine article on it that says, while it's not perfect, they have a two-month window, which is what the argument is, is that it's a two-month, you need two months of data, follow-up data to be able to make any judgment for emergency use. And the idea is in two months, you could see at least two things. One is you would see whether the, um, that there's any immediate problems with the autoimmune phenomenon or this hyperimmune phenomenon that would come from a vaccination. And the second is whether you'd see that the any antibody protections you get dropped, you know, a month after you got the shot. So they said it's a reasonable threshold is two months. And it seems to me as long as they stick to the two months, it's emergency use. And I think it's not full-blown approval. And full-blown approval will come when it's past the company's um, test. So I think despite all the noise that was going on early on and trying to get the vaccine and saying it was going to come out next week, now it looks as if the FDA is acting very responsibly and there's no reason for them to go do their own test. He is Dr. Jonathan Ellen, pediatrician, epidemiologist, public health academician, and the former CEO of Johns Hopkins All Children's Hospital. Dr. Ellen, thanks as always for joining us. Appreciate it. Thank you. Take care. To the Dan Proft Show on the Salem Radio Network. Welcome back to the Dan Proft Show. There was a uh, officer involved shooting the other evening in Waukegan, Illinois, which is the northern part of Illinois towards uh, Wisconsin. And uh, we'll keep an eye on it. Uh, there has uh, not been uh, squad cam footage of it r- released at this point, but it involved um, an officer approaching a suspicious vehicle. The vehicle takes off. Another officer is enlisted to help uh, contain the vehicle. Vehicle stopped. One officer gets out of the car, by the way, because this is going to be forced through the racial prism. Latino officer orders the people out of the car reportedly the car begins to reverse instead he opens fire two occupants in the car young black woman young black man in their teens late teens the young black man is killed the young black woman is shot she's expected to survive and uh, black lives matter protests lake county illinois black lives matter which you may remember around the nation because 
they were involved in uh, agitation in Kenosha across the border into Wisconsin after the Jacob Blake incident that where Kamala Harris was so proud of Jacob Blake's behavior, you'll recall. So we'll uh, keep you updated on that, uh, being in Chicago, based in Chicago as I am. I have some local knowledge of that, but that's sort of what we know at this point. And um, again, we'll keep you updated, particularly if there is any sort of unrest associated with what uh, may otherwise be a peaceful protest. Also, related story. Out of San Francisco, I guess uh, places, if they don't defund the police, it won't really matter because nobody's going to call them anyway. San Francisco supervisors unanimously voting the other day to pass the Caution Against Racially Exploitive Non-Emergencies Act. Don't you love the acronyms they come up with? They acronym right and they work backwards to fill in the language. Caution Against Racially and Exploitive Non-Emergencies Act. Yes, if you're spelling at home, that's the Karen Act, referring to what has become sort of a cultural nomenclature about a uh, badly behaving middle-aged white woman acting entitled or demanding, I guess. Listen to what it does. The Karen Act will expand the definition of a protected class in San Francisco to prevent false emergency calls with the specific intent to discriminate against a person or otherwise infringe on the person's rights or cause the person specified harms on the basis of the person's, let me take a deep breath, race, color, ancestry, national origin, place of birth, sex, age, religion, creed, disability, sexual orientation, gender identity, weight, or height. You call the cops on that person because you were intending to deprive that person of rights based on their height, their weight. Okay. How are you going to discern intent on this? And to the extent that you're going to disincentivize people to use 911 in an emergency situation, because now they have to think about how you're going to interpret their intent. If I'm a white person and it's a black guy that is uh, the assailant, or if I'm a black person and it's, I don't know, a gay guy, that's the assailant. I don't know how often that occurs, but I mean, the, the point is, I'm going to have to think about the the non-behavioral characteristics of the person for the, the, that is providing the reason for me to call 911 before I call 911 because I don't want my intent to be misinterpreted and I don't want to be prosecuted for some sort of Karen Act violation. Uh, yeah, San Francisco uh, leading the way in insanity with uh, Chicago uh, closely behind. This is Dan Pross. This is the Dan Proft Show. The world is a complicated place. You need someone to expose the political fakers, fixers, and takers and to cut through the mindless chatter and misdirection to help you make sense of it all. That person is Dan Proft. And this is the Dan Proft Show. Welcome back to the Dan Proft Show. Reminder at the bottom of the hour, as soon as the presidential debate is concluded, we'll be taking your phone call to get your Immediate reactions, first blush reactions, 888-291-2222 is the call in, 888-291-2222. Oh, you know, this show prides itself on its institutional memory. So let's go into the Wayback Machine and um, be reminded of what Joe Biden said about, and this is to Axios, about uh, his knowledge of any of Hunter Biden's business dealings, particularly those that would uh, potentially implicate his influence as vice president of the United States. I don't know what he was doing. I know he was on the board. I found out he was on the board after he was on the board. And that was it. And there's nobody. Well, you've had a lot of time. Isn't this something you want to get to the bottom of? No, because I trust my son. But that doesn't pass the smell test. Like when you're vice president, isn't there a higher standard? Don't you need to know 
No. What's happening with your family? Don't you need to put down no. some guardrails? Um, um, unless there was something that was, uh, there was something on its face that was wrong. There's nothing on its face that was wrong. <laughs> nothing on its face that was wrong. That's an interesting qualifier, uh, qualifying statement. Uh, Hunter Biden, it turns out, appears to be somewhat more honest than the old man, the big guy, if you will. That, um, if you recall, in the sit-down that he gave to ABC News, uh, when he was asked whether or not uh, he would have been asked to be on the board of Burisma, the Ukrainian energy company in question, one of the questions, he said probably not if his last name wasn't Biden. Probably not. He wouldn't have been asked to be on the board. Hmm. That's getting closer to the truth. For more on uh, Biden, Inc., we're pleased to be joined by Helen Raleigh, senior contributor to The Federalist, the author of Backlash, how China's aggression has backfired and Confucius never said. Helen Raleigh, thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate it. Thank you for having me, Dan. So uh, we were talking about uh, Ukraine here and the Burisma Energy Company. Uh, you write in City Journal about um, the uh, Hunter Biden and, and Biden family, by extension, Biden family interests in in China. And uh, it speaks to this question that um, was asked by James Freeman in the Wall Street Journal. What kind of meetings can a Chinese tycoon buy for $10 million a year? A full seven days after the New York Post began publishing emails showing Biden family influence peddling, the former vice president still isn't saying the emails are fake. He still refuses to. And um, and and even as now Hunter Biden business partners are saying the email that appeared to cut Joe Biden in for a 10 percent stake in a in a concern that Hunter was setting up with a Chinese communists that uh, that uh, email was, in fact, authentic and that deal was a real deal that was efforted. Right. And, you know, I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a law enforcement. So I'm going to stay off the stay away from the legal side. But this is from what I know. Mm-hmm. Read the Senate report. And this is my piece. Now you have all this uh, leaked emails and the confirmation from ex-business partners. This just doesn't pass the smell test. And we know that especially, I found especially troubling that we don't talk enough about Hunter Biden's involvement in uh, with, with China. You know, his little company, um, 80% of the joint ventures were invested by, you know, humongous Chinese entities, including Chinese state bank, you know, multi-trillion dollar worth Chinese state bank. Why would those entities invest in a uh, business with a no-name, very small capitalized you know, uh, venture capital firm unless, you know, the founder, the partners of the firm, you know, related to two prominent U.S., you know, politicians. So this is a, I mean, from a Chinese standpoint, this is typical of how business gets done in China. That's why I call them American princelings. This is how children and families of prominent communist party leaders, this is how they get rich and powerful. But this is, you know, this is how this is this is how a kleptocracy works. Right. I mean, this is right. Everything stays in the family. You use the power of the state, your public office for personal enrichment. That's a kleptocracy. Exactly. And that's how they monetize. That's how the children's of a communist party leadership got get rich and powerful because they monetize, you know, access to power. They monetize their famous last name, their, their parents' position. Um, but we're in America, and this is not supposed to happen in America. And I, I think what this case, you know, revealed to us are two things. Number one, as I mentioned in my uh, article, that, uh, you know, this is just a reminder. We're not immune from corruption. Mm-hmm. We're not immune from entrenched, uh, you know, financial feelings um, in, in our political the swamp. And the second is, I think the really big picture here is about Joe Biden, not Hunter Biden. Hunter Biden has problems. We all know that. And, you know. 
I, I wish him well that he'll find he'll deal with his drug addiction, those other issues, and deal with. But but it's Joe Biden because Joe Biden is running his political campaign based on character. He's running against uh, Trump against, uh, on character. And it, but this case showed us, you know, we all know who the big guy is. You know, we know the big guys getting now looks like the big guys getting a cut. You know, he's selling out. He's actually aiding his son to monetize his power, his position. So he's a character. And then he told all of us that he doesn't know anything about his son's business dealing. So where, where is the character that he's running against? This is where we should focus. I think that's the biggest scandal in this story. Uh, yeah, and uh, let's talk a little bit about the extended family here um, and, and perhaps Hunter Biden's role, as he said, in, in a New Yorker piece as a family provider. The, uh, the, 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 the involvement of Hunter Biden with this Chinese energy company that the email references, mm-hmm. the, the 10% stake for the big guy, Joe Biden, you uh, write that uh, the company, that Chinese energy company, uh, had announced it would acquire a $9 billion stake in a state-owned Russian energy company and that one of the associates of the Chinese energy company opened a line to credit uh, that was accessed by the Bidens, uh, the, the Biden mm-hmm. family. And so so now they are um, spending uh, on the dime of, of a Chinese energy company, a Chinese communist energy company mm-hmm. that's trying to acquire a Russian a state-owned energy company, and the entire Biden family is on the dole of this, uh, this cons- or this this uh, consortium in the making. Right, and that's just how corruption works, right? And uh, it, it's very entrenched the business dealing, and it's got you know China, both China and Russia are two of the most corrupt nations, you know, in the world. So that now they got the Biden family involved, and you know, there's no free lunch with. Um, this no free lunch with uh, the Communist Party. And yes, you know, the Biden family suffered off the, the dose the Chinese provided. But also when the Chinese come to call to say, hey, we need a you know, questionable business deal, does the Bidens have to help? Which, as I mentioned in the article, that the Bidens um, helped uh, made the sale of a Michigan auto, you know, auto parts company, which their technology has due use, can be used both for you know, military as well as the civilian, you know, civic use. And those kind of deals usually have to be uh, strictly scrutinized in the United States. But with the Biden's involvement, the deals got passed, which the Senate Republicans raised a lot of questions about, you know, had the Biden's firm not involved, whether this deal will be passed at all. And and the Chinese energy company, uh, so yeah, right, so you have you have the de- the dealings that, that are being done by the uh, by by the private equity firm, uh, and then as you say, the scrutiny issue that perhaps Biden could help them navigate. Then you have the uh, energy company, them living high on the hog off the energy company, in addition to setting up a, a separate business enterprise where everybody gets an equity stake, including the big guy. Um, mm-hmm. The Chinese energy company, the the chairman of that energy company has disappeared. Uh, we w- w- what do we know about that energy company and what its disposition is and what its connection to President Xi and the Chinese Communist Politburo is? So the the founder of the energy company, his first name, his last name is Ye. Um, he never came clean about his connection because there's a famous Chinese marshal. Uh, his first name, his last name is also Ye. So there are many, uh, you know suspicion that he, the founder may be related, but the founder never come out, 
clean to either deny or admit the relationship. But the, the founder, we do know it's been confirmed that he uh, was in the, involved in with the Chinese military, the People's Liberation Army. So he has deep ties with the People's Liberation Army. As you know, in an authoritarian regime like China, you know, like the energy sector is highly state controlled. You don't get, you know, if you're nobody, you don't get involved in those energy sector and make a big deals like that. So he's definitely connected. And it's just with this entrenched, uh, still a lot of cover up. We don't know how directly he's connected to the famous uh, marshal, but he's definitely connected with both the military and the Communist Party. And, and as I mentioned in the article, the way he became rich is he did a lot of deals, business deals, uh, especially overseas business deals, just from pure business standpoint, do not make any business sense at all. But he, he did also deal to advance the Communist Party's influence and interest to right. serve a geopolitical interest for the party. Right. So that just reflects his uh, connection. Uh, yeah, and so it's, a, it's another uh, vehicle for uh, espionage, essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's, uh, Helen Raleigh, senior contributor to The Federalist, author of Backlash, How China's Aggression Has Backfired. And Confucius Never Said. Helen Raleigh, thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Take care. Anything you want, you got it. Anything you need, you got it. Anything else. Exposing political fakers, fixers, and takers. He's Dan Proft. And this is The Dan Proft Show. Welcome back to the Dan Prof Show. Victor Davis Hanson writing uh, in advance of tonight's debate. In any debate, when one candidate has a more imposing physical presence and a greater ability to discuss issues, it makes little sense to interrupt and thereby lend sympathy to the flailing and the frail. Did uh, President Trump heed Victor Davis Hanson's wisdom? Taking your calls, 888-291-2222 when we come back from break. 888-291-2222 at the completion of the debate. Be taking your calls for the rest of the show. Get your reactions and what you think President Trump's debate performance will mean in terms of electoral impact. Uh, I want to, uh, before we get to that, uh, discuss this uh, interview that Jason Whitlock conducted with the president. Jason Whitlock, we've spoken about uh, his writings on this show uh, often in the last couple of months. He's a partner with Clay Travis over there at Outkick.com, mainly sports-oriented, but not specifically. Whitlock has been writing uh, great pieces on race and sports and culture. I mean, everything is politicized now, so sports writers are, I guess, compelled to uh, weigh in, and Whitlock has uh, very thoughtfully. Uh, Whitlock sat down with the president for about a 15-minute interview. That is definitely worth checking out. Go to Outkick to do that. I'll uh, retweet it at Dan Prof Show. And uh, spoke mainly about uh, the president's relationship with um, black Americans, the support he's getting from black Americans. Uh, whether uh, or not he thinks it's going well, and not just the high-profile you know, Ice Cubes and 50 Cents and Kanye West of the world, but including them. Whitlock uh, asking the president if he, if he thinks um, things are starting to turn in his favor, uh, not so much uh, black men in particular making an assessment of Trump on his personality, but rather on his record. We've seen Ice Cube work with you right, guys. Right. Fifty Cent, another right. popular rapper, right. endorsed you. I, I Kanye. Yes. Are we seeing a turn where people are starting to evaluate you on your record and policy and performance, 
rather than personality. I think so. And I think what else has happened is for a hundred years, the Democrats have had the black vote. A hundred years. I mean, it's been forever. And they look at Baltimore, look at Oakland, look at all these places that are doing horribly. And I think a lot of people are saying, hey, wait a minute, this is not right. We've been, you know, automatic. It's almost like, I don't know why they keep going. It's a habit. It's almost a habit to vote for a Democrat. And now you have a lot of people going into the Republican Party, black representatives. You have a young woman in Baltimore, I think. I don't know. She's fantastic. I don't know if she can win or not, because, you know, it's like almost 100 percent Democrat, but it shouldn't be. And I'll bet she does very well. I mean, I don't know how she's going to do. She should do great. But you see more and more of that, Jason, and I think it's a great thing. Yeah, Kim Klasik, of course, is who President Trump is referencing, running uh, for Congress uh, to replace Elijah Cummings, that open seat since his uh, passage. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's a great thing. And it's not just uh, Klasik, but uh, uh, John James, the uh, Senate candidate in Michigan, who's in a hotly contested race. Uh, if Trump wins Michigan, he may... He may pull John James across the finish line with him, and wouldn't that be a positive development? Uh, Joe Collins, uh, a young black uh, former naval officer who we've spoken to on this show, who is uh, running against Maxine Waters, uh, in addition to those who are in office like Tim Scott. Uh, yes, that you want, you definitely want to see. The president seems pretty earnest, pretty authentic, and pretty consistent in trying to uh, elevate uh, black conservatives running for office under the Republican banner, particularly at the federal level. That obviously is his focus, but also at the state level when it comes to statewide elections. And um, the point that he made beginning in 2016, which is sort of what do you have to lose? He's built upon it with actual accomplishment. And Whitlock makes the point, you know, a lot of uh, pop culture icons used to be great friends with Donald Trump before he became a political candidate. I mean, when he was just a tabloid star or reality TV star. And now, of course, he is uh, the Grand Wizard of the Ku Klux Klan to hear so many tell it. But it seems like um, more and more black men in particular, this is Whitlock's observation, are disabusing themselves of that propaganda. Jason Whitlock, after his interview with the president, went out with Tucker Carlson last night to talk about it. And he said this. Well, I I think there's some clear momentum for President Trump, particularly, I think, with black men. I think we've been carrying on a facade for three and a half years as black men that somehow we can't relate to Donald Trump, that we didn't celebrate him in hip hop music for decades, that he wasn't friends with countless black athletes, entertainers, celebrities. Look, in a part of this interview that we'll air in full tonight on OutKick, he mentioned that at one point he and Jesse Jackson were friends. And that he's like, Jesse Jackson may still say positive things about me. So there's been a charade, I think, particularly among black men, pretending that they don't have something in common with President Trump. And that facade is starting to end. Well, it's interesting. And and to the extent that that facade ends and President Trump is in double digits in terms of the overall black vote, maybe even uh, greater than that, in particularly uh, key swing states, is to the extent that he's reelected. As I've argued on this show many times, including this week, it would be just the most wonderful instance of cosmic or karmic or both justice for President Trump to be buoyed to reelection by the black and Latino electorates in the swing states that are up for grabs. 
Uh, Jason Whitlock also asking the president, you know, back to this sort of personality versus policy, uh, who he is versus what he's done question. Uh, prospectively, since elections are about the future, are we going to get to uh, borrow a phrase that I don't know president won't want to borrow since it's normally associated with George H.W. Bush? We're going to get a kinder, gentler Trump in a second term. When you go into the second term, though, if you go into the second term, might we see a different personality from President Trump, a kinder, gentler President Trump? And, and the reason I ask that is because when Ruth, Gator, Ruth Bader Ginsburg right, died, right. I saw what you said before getting on the plane, and I thought it was awesome. And I was like, I want, can we see more of that President yeah. Trump? In the second term, will you will you think will you be as much of a fighter as you are in your first term? So I think the answer is yes. I want to, I want the answer to be yes. But when I first came here, there was so much to do. I didn't have time to be totally politically correct. And um, you, you're not a person for political correct no, either. I know no. I know you. People don't but, like me. But you, you know the softer <laughs> side is good. Yeah. Uh, the answer is yes. We've done a lot. We've rebuilt our military. We've given the biggest tax cuts ever. What we've done for our vets and all of the different things that we've done. What we've done for the black community. I mean, you know, we, we went through that with the criminal justice. We've done a lot. Uh, the answer is yes, I think so. And I want to bring it all together. And what brings it together is success. And you know, Jason, it was happening. It was coming together. And then we got hit with the China plague. When the plague came in, it was, you know, back to the drawing boards. And now it's the economy is we're going to set records. You're going to see we've already 11.4 million people hired over the last few months. It's a record. Uh, so I hope the answer is yes. But a lot of it is time. You know, you it's like you got to get going. You don't have much time. Being politically correct takes time. Do you understand? No, I'm and sometimes we don't have time. But the answer is yes. And I'd certainly like to. All right. He uh, likes to be the uh, the best uh, that Trump can be in a second term. And uh, we'll uh, take your calls coming up if he was the best that Trump could be. And tonight's debate, 888-291-2222, 888-291-2222. Taking your calls right after this. Yes, I got to have of the show at danproftshow.com. Good evening. Welcome to the Dan Prof Show. Phone lines are open, 888-291-2222, 888-291-2222, getting your uh, instant reactions to the almost concluded final presidential debate between Donald Trump and Joe Biden. They're on their last question as we speak, the question being leadership, uh, what would you say on Inauguration Day? Uh, in summary, uh, right before that, we got uh, Joe Biden on the economy uh, sort of bookended. The beginning was COVID-19. The end was on energy policy. And if I could sum it up in one sentence, Biden wants to lock down the American economy 
in an open-ended fashion, and he wants to eliminate the oil and gas industries. Um, I, don't, I don't know how pro-growth that will turn out to be, uh, in point of fact. Uh, the, that Certainly one of the highlights uh, that President Trump uh, can seize upon in the postmortem on this in terms of messaging what is coming out of this, the Trump campaign should be seizing on both ends of that bookend. Lock down the American economy. He said it no less than three times during the back and forth on COVID-19. And here at the end, uh, Trump actually uh, halted uh, Kristen Welker, to his credit, Joe Biden on the oil industry specifically, and then the back and forth they had prior to that on fracking, where, as we've talked about often on this show, and uh, President Trump played the tape in Erie, Pennsylvania, at his rally this week. We played the tape before. Joe Biden said one thing in the primary, uh, trying to get uh, the support of the uh, Marxist base of his party, and he's saying a, a very different thing, trying to get the support of Pennsylvanians generally. The only thing on that I wish President Trump had brought up, just because it goes to Joe Biden's earlier statement in the debate about uh, character, and you know my record on telling the truth. Oh, we sure do, Joe. Uh, just ask the Boilermakers in Pennsylvania your record on telling the truth. Why last week on Thursday in your town hall with George Stephanopoulos did you say that the Boilermakers Union in Pennsylvania, they have a lot to do with the energy sector, endorsed you, that you met with them and they endorsed you when you did neither uh, or you didn't meet with them and they didn't endorse you. That would have just been a nice uh, weave in there. Uh, overall, your impressions, 888-291-2222. Uh, it was uh, a better debate from Trump. The demeanor was better. He was more affable. He was more cheerful. And uh, there was more substance because, of course, there was the microphone cutoff so that they weren't talking over one another. I suspected this actually might end up playing to Trump's advantage to institute a discipline that perhaps he's um, less likely to institute on his own volition. And I think that turned out to be actually be the case. I think uh, giving Trump two minutes where Joe Biden isn't in interrupting him and also uh, letting Joe Biden talk so Trump isn't interrupting Joe Biden, I actually think that played to Trump's benefit. Generally speaking, just thinking top lines here in the immediacy of uh, after the conclusion of the debate, the uh, uh, President Trump did a better job, it seems to me, of reminding people what his record is and frankly reminding people what joe biden's record isn't the eight years as president he could have added and the three decades in the u.s senate prior to that but you know his 40 plus years in public office and what do we have to show for it what does joe have to show for it and all of those things that he's promising to do now as president of the united states uh he defends the obama administration but he doesn't want to take responsibility for what was not accomplished or he uh, uh or, or or what did occur that was um that is not useful anymore to him so i thought that was better because i, I said before what is the difference between 2020 and 2016 2016 trump and 2020 trump the main difference is he's got a record that the promises he made he kept or he efforted to keep and uh, he got through some of those promises today. The, the criticism I would lodge against the president, it's the same criticism I had. This is relatively predictable coming from me. 
It's twofold. His inability to maintain focus long enough to drive a particular point. Number one. And number two, lack of specifics. Lack of specifics to buttress the point he is trying to make that people can take away. Uh, when we come back, I'll take your calls, but I'll, I'll develop that and give you a couple more examples of what I'm talking about. The failure to just do the principle, policy, passion construct I often reference. More Dan Profshaw right after this. From the fake news, he's always got the real story. This is the Dan Prof Show. You are fake news. Welcome back to the Dan Prof Show. Phone lines are open, 888-291-2222. Uh, the uh, debate open tonight. With a uh, somewhat extended discussion, I know it was segmented uh, uh, equally, but uh, it was it seemed to be more back and forth on the topic of COVID-19 policy. Uh, some of Trump's highlights, I mean, this is really the uh, area where there was the most contrast with COVID-19, frankly, on virtually every other topic, and virtually more so than any other topic. I say we're learning to live with it. We have no choice. We can't lock ourselves up in a basement like Joe does. He has the, <laughs> he has the ability to lock himself up. I don't know. He's obviously made a lot of money someplace, but he has this thing about living in a basement. People can't do that. For uh, more instant analysis, uh, a little bit more postmortem from the uh, particularly from the economic perspective. Please be joined again by our friend Scott the Cowguy Shalady, Fox Business contributor. Scott, thanks for being with us. Appreciate it. Good evening. Good evening. Uh, so Joe Biden uh, said uh, that uh, he would be open to, if not promotion, uh, if, if not promoting uh, a lockdown, no fewer than three times in the first 15 minutes and you heard uh, Trump's response there. That, that was to me the, the biggest contrast between the two as they sort of argued about who's responsible and who isn't. But, but uh, Trump wants to open up and Joe Biden doesn't, not until it's safe, whatever that means, whatever the threshold for safe is to him. And not until we get enough money to make sure that it is safe, whatever the money threshold is for him to generate safety. Yeah, you know, I, I, I saw all of that, and I, you can't predict what's in somebody's mind when they're on the stage, but, you know, being a, a, watching this, I, I would have thought that when you talk about shutting things down, but then you also talk about not enough money for your first responders, like Joe did when he looked into the eyes of the American people, uh, th those two things are incongruent. You can't shut America down and then continue to get municipal funds from tax revenues from all your shutdown businesses to keep your first responders going. So, in effect, you are killing the first responders, not anything else. So, uh, you know, it's hard to, you know, put the you know point A to point B on the television at the you know instantaneous moment. But I kept on wanting to scream at the television. Look, you can't be for first responders and shutting the economy down at the same time. Because we don't have any money to pay these people if we shut the economy down. Look what Chicago, New York, California are all going through right now. So that was a point I think maybe he missed a little bit. Uh, but but I, I, I do think that you can't sit there and complain about not having enough money for these people, uh, but at the same time say you're going to shut everything down three times. 
Well, the other thing it would have been nice for him to sort of frame for the viewer was to say, listen to what he's saying. He's talking about open-ended lockdowns. There is no threshold uh, that he is willing to delineate of both in or out. And essentially what he's saying, if I'm hearing it correctly, Joe, correct me if I'm wrong, that that uh, we should shut down until there are zero cases. Zero. Zero cases. That is not only anti-science, it's not going to happen. That's just nutty. That is nutty. He's accusing me of panicking at the outset of this. Uh, first of all, I didn't. And secondly, he's in full panic right now. He's saying things that nobody believes is possible. It, this is fairy <laughs> this is fairy tale stuff from Joe Biden. Well, first of all, when he says to the you know, he, he's a politician, right? He looked at the camera a few times and he was trying to uh, evoke some sort of emotion through the camera. And, and I, I like how Trump called him out on that because that's what politicians do. But to say that the American people didn't panic, people were giving toilet paper as Easter presents. All right. That's how much the American people panicked. Right. Go look at how many toilet rolls people have in their basements right now. So he's absolutely right. The people were panicking. So we, you, you have to look at things in the context of when they actually happened and not in retrospect. So, you know, I would have liked to have said, look, if this was a, a title fight, you know, it was a 100 percent Trump win, if you ask me. But there was not a knockout blow. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So I, I would have given him on the card uh, a major, a major decision. Uh, but he didn't he didn't knock him out. And, and obviously, for all the reasons that we were waiting for Joe to stumble because he had to talk for two minutes. Yeah, he stumbled a few times. But uh, Trump did a good job. I mean, I'll give him a B plus, A minus, and I'll give Joe a C minus. Right. But that's uh, who knows if that's good enough. But I still think that you can you can take point A that you want to shut down. I mean, you, point B, you, you, you complain about first responders or municipalities not having enough money. We're going through that with Cuomo, or not Cuomo, uh, de Blasio. We're going through that with Lori Lightfoot. We're going through that with all the mayors of the big cities in California. Guess what happens when you shut your economy down? you got no money, right? So you're the people that are actually hurting the first responders, not anybody else. Uh, on China and uh, China trade policy in part, uh, but China policy generally, uh, the, the whole uh, President Trump embraced Xi. Well, uh, with respect to his uh, attack on China as it pertains to trade, uh, again, there's a, a paper out this week uh, from uh, economists at Min- University of Minnesota uh, estimating that the trade war cost China about $35 billion, or 0.29% of its GDP, cost the U.S. about $15 billion, or about 0.08% of our GDP. So, uh, as was sort of predicted, it, both sides take a bit of a hit, but America was in a much stronger position to deliver a blow and take the lesser hit. And uh, uh, I think it's difficult to characterize that as an embrace of the communist Chinese. <laughs> well, and you know what? The, the problem is that I know a lot of people that didn't even know there was a debate tonight, so that's another problem. And you're right. Uh, China is now buying U.S. agriculture like they never have before, not because of phase one or phase two, because they need it, okay? They're coming to us because they need it, because they have been knocked off at the knees. So... Nobody's been tougher on China than Trump. Nobody's been tougher on Russia than Trump with what would happen in Syria, but everybody seems to forget. And he, he tried to get to it, and, and these debates are too difficult for in an hour and a half to really get to some of these points. I, I get it, how what, it can be difficult. And what, he's yeah. frustrated. And one other topic, Gary, too, I wanted to get you to weigh in on, because it seemed to me it was sort of like bookended. Lockdowns on the front end is what Biden was arguing for. 
are certainly open to, and eliminating the oil and gas industry in the back end of the debate. So what does he want us to be, Venezuela tomorrow? I mean, it only took them four years to go from hero to zero. And so, you know, look, Wall Street, and I'm intricately uh, talk to these guys every day, they're, they're all trying to convince themselves that the top three things are not the president. Right? Number one, the efficacy of a vaccine. Number two, the trajectory of the economy right now. And then number three, the Federal Reserve Bank standing behind the markets, and they're there to make sure that nothing bad and, happens. And Scott, and Scott, let's hold it right there. We'll, we'll come back with more Scott the Cow Guy Shalady right after this. Grab a good seat and sharpen your pencils. Class is in session with Professor Dan Proft and the Dan Proft Show. Welcome back to the Dan Prop Show. We're talking to Scott the Cow Guy, Shalady, doing uh, post-debate analysis, particularly on the economic portions of the evening. And uh, Scott, uh, before the break, uh, we're just, you were just talking about sort of the uh, the market feedback loop and how you think the market is going to react to what the two candidates offer tonight. Uh, when to let you pick up there. Yeah, well, I was just saying that Wall Street is right now, con- they've convinced themselves, and I'll tell you right now, I disagree with them that the three things that are most important, not the next president, are a vaccine, the trajectory of the economy, and the Federal Reserve Bank standing behind uh, the markets to make sure nothing bad happens. Those are all very important things, don't get me wrong. But that would be a normal thought process if this was Bush Gore or uh, Bush Clinton or, or Dukakis Reagan. That would be normal. But this isn't normal. And I think that President, president Trump did a good job today, by, or tonight, saying that You've been in office for 47 years. You were the vice president for eight. I, I think he did a great job that way. Um, and so that I really like to see the fact that, hey, why are you going to be doing something now? And you know what? He was very honest. I, I got elected because of your failings. But economically speaking, his plans don't add up. And look, the best headline was, you know, 50 cents saying, I don't want to be 20 cents. Because we've never seen a scenario. Dan, I've never been in a scenario where this guy's in a, he has an actual chance by saying, I'm, you're going to pay 62 cents on the dollar as your tax if I'm elected. And people are actually taking that seriously. And I, I, I believe Trump, or at least he's at the high end of the estimates, for that Green New Deal, he didn't call it the Green New Deal, but it's a hundred trillion dollars. Maybe it's seventy trillion, but our, our economy is only twenty-two, twenty-three trillion dollars in a year. These are historically high numbers, and they would bankrupt us overnight. And so he's a builder. Joe Biden's never hired anybody. Joe Biden signs, you know, he signs the back of the check. He doesn't sign the front of the check. And and the like front I of the check earlier, is written in Chinese. <laughs> well, look, I, I'll say this. I I was very, very pleased with the way it went. I'm obviously I lean to the right, so I like to see what Trump had to say. He missed on, you know, his Middle East peace stuff. There was a lot of things he missed on because it didn't come up because that was not part of the debate anyway. Um, but at the end of the day, if it's a title fight, he won a decisive card. And I think if you throw in the fact of that, 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 that uh, we because we all lean right, we don't jump on the bang line right away. We want to wait and see what the – um, the, the details are about what that chap had to say that came on beforehand, that uh, Bobolinsky, I don't even know what his name is. Right, but, yeah, right, Hunter Biden, um, business partner, right. Yeah, if you put him into the mix on top of this, I, you know, I, I would be, I would be uh, uncomfortable being in the Biden camp tonight. He is Scott the Cow Guy, Shalady Fox Business contributor. Scott, thanks as always for joining us. Appreciate it. 
No problem. Uh, when we come back, uh, we're going to talk to uh, University of Chicago poli-sci professor emeritus Charles Lipson. We're also going to take your calls all next hour. Again, that number, 888-291-2222, 888-291-2222. We'll move beyond some of the economic issues to the cultural ones as, uh, as uh, we return with Professor Charles Lipson. Stay tuned. Exposing political fakers, fixers, and takers. He's Dan Prof. And this is The Dan Prof Show. The world is a complicated place. You need someone to expose the political fakers, fixers, and takers and to cut through the mindless chatter and misdirection to help you make sense of it all. That person is Dan Proft. And this is The Dan Proft Show. Good evening. Welcome to The Dan Prof Show and uh, the... Final presidential debate is now in the books, 12 days to go before Election Day. Taking your calls, 888-291-2222, 888-291-2222. Take your assessment of President Trump's performance, of Vice President Joe Biden's performance, and uh, whether or not uh, Trump uh, builds on the momentum he seemed to have, and the polling seemed to indicate, he came into this evening with. Uh a couple of things to uh, discuss. Just talking about uh, Trump's style, uh, restrained as it was by the microphone shutoffs, but also he was uh, respectful of the moderator, too. Um, the questions mainly started from the premises of the left, even the questions that were directed at Joe Biden. I mean, in other words, that were directed at Joe Biden in an attempt to push him, like the questions directed at Trump were in an attempt to push him, you know, treat the respective candidates as a hostile witness, question something about their record or their viewpoints. Um, so so that, that that's sort of built into the price. But I, there there's this 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 construct that I talk about often when it comes to debates, the three P's, PPP, not uh, payroll protection program, uh, not uh, personal protection, that's PPE. But anyway, it's principle, policy and passion. Take a topic, whatever the topic is, lay out the principle from which you're starting succinctly, the policy that you either enacted or support, and then the passion is a data point or an anecdote that drives that viewpoint home for the viewer. And Trump was better today than he was in debate one. It was more akin to a press conference where he has um, where he has control of the microphone, frankly, it was more akin to that where he's better in that interplay than uh, than he was in, in the debate one format. But Joe Biden came in with good energy. Uh, Joe Biden mainly offered pablum, but he offered pablum with passion. And a lot of people won't be able to tell the difference between the two. And, and I, I just say again, a specific or two would be so helpful. He. The, the, the principle gets lost in some of the back and forth. He sort of has these things in no particular order. So, for example, on lockdowns with respect to COVID, he got to the, the principle at the end of the discussion. The principle is what? We have to learn to live with the virus. We have to open our economy. We have to send the kids back to school. 
these are specific policies and the passion could be just one something specific. Uh, Joe Biden, what do you say to the Brown University study? 200,000 kids over 47 states that found the case infection rate for both kids and adults a magnitude lower than the general population. They should be back in school, not this open-ended, someday we'll send the kids back to school when Joe Biden says enough money has been sent to the teachers' unions and uh, he believes now it's safe to send the kids back to school. No, it should happen right now. Uh, the, The Yale University study on daycare centers that finds that children are not spreaders of the virus they're not transmitters of the virus what do you say to that there's the science joe you run around saying the word science all the time well there's some science for you that undermines your position and supports mine the twenty thousand plus public health professionals medical doctors and public health professionals epidemiologists who signed the great uh, barrington declaration the Uh, Academy of Pediatrics who say the same thing that I'm saying. The kids need to be back in school. Seemed to me, rather than getting into this business uh, that Joe Biden wanted to get into of you should have done this back then. That's retrospective. Elections are about the future. What we should do now. And that was actually the question that was posed is how would you handle this on a go forward basis? And so this is about schools and businesses. This is about uh, risk management. And it would have just been helpful if Trump would have dove in with both feet but also with a specific or two to drive that point home and really uh, turn the tables on Joe Biden with respect to COVID-19, where Joe Biden wants to talk about it, even if it's disjointed, because the president doesn't have particularly high approval ratings on his handling of it because of the pounding he's taken in the media. And uh, uh, this is something to where Joe Biden thinks he has a distinct advantage. It could have been turned, uh, neutralized even more than President Trump neutralized it. Let's get a couple calls in. 888-291-2222. David in Lansing, Illinois. You're on uh, the Dan Prof Show. And now David is gone. Uh, that's right. Grant, you're on the Dan Prof Show. Hey, Dan. Great analysis. Um, I, don't think, uh, I don't think Trump lost any votes tonight. I think he probably gained a few. Conclusion, I think, uh, I think Joe was rambling, but he was capable. You know, uh, he... he 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 would veer off, but he'd he'd always come back to the road and keep her between the ditches. I guess. Um, my inner conspiracy: Did he have an earpiece in when he brought up Rudy Giuliani? And he he just kind of I will whatever. Uh, well, he invoked Hitler. That was ugly. Yes. Well. Yes. Yeah. Uh, uh, Hitler in connection to uh, to uh, what was it? it? Was Kim Jong Un? Wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. That that back and forth over Kim Jong Un and whether or not. Uh, he should have a dialogue with Kim Jong Un, and it was it wasn't it wasn't it Kim Jong Un? I can't remember. Yeah. Exactly what it was. We negotiated with Hitler before before World War Two. Very good. Uh, Trump, he came off stable, strong, uh, but he's still volatile. He's still Trump. So I mean, he he gets things done. And if 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 I could, I I think your callers should should try and share their favorite Joe Biden meme if if they have it available. And I was wondering if you'd let me. It's not it's not vile yeah. or anything. It's just kind of funny it says you know when i was a kid in scranton a wheel fell off my canoe it made me wonder how many pancakes can you fit in a doghouse none <laughs> because ice cream doesn't have bones so um i just yeah i, I think that'd be interesting. so I, good analysis man. thanks for the call grant i was waiting for uh, joe biden when the question uh was posed to the two about the talk Kristen welker talking about the talk that 
minority parents have with their children with respect to police. I was waiting for Joe Biden to say he remembered having the talk with Corn Pop. Uh, so there's there's my uh, Ryan. You're on Chicago's Morning Answer. Hey, Dan, thanks for taking my call. I uh, I want to see a count side by side of how many times Kristen Welker offered Joe Biden the opportunity to respond or weigh in versus how many times she interrupted the president, because it isn't just about interruptions. It's also about letting Joe Biden you know, say that everything with Hunter Biden is bunk, say that everything is ridiculous and a conspiracy theory. It, it was it was so unbalanced in that regard. And my other point, I, I think the whole conversation on immigration was completely asinine. Joe Biden got away with just pure emotion and didn't have to answer for policy in the Obama Biden administration. And President Trump, to his credit, actually did focus on policy in that segment. Yeah, I think that's I think that's fair, Ryan. A good point. Thanks for the call. A good point, particularly about uh, Welker trying to derail any depth into the conversation about uh, Biden, Inc., as I would call it, Uh, not just Hunter. But as Trump attempted to do, I don't think as artfully as he could have, but forget Hunter Biden. I'm not talking about Hunter Biden. I'm talking about you, big guy. I think he said big boy or big, big man or something like that. But, you know. Big guy is the actual reference in the email in question talking about you, big guy. And she did try to derail that discussion. There's no question about it. She tried to limit it. Uh, President Trump needed to be tighter on that, though, needed to go back to it when he attempted to go back to it before. Say, look, listen, this isn't me saying it. And he did a great Jan Brady impersonation with his Russia, Russia, Russia. When Joe Biden wanted to just chalk this up to uh, a Russian disinformation campaign, those 50 intel guys you're talking about, they also said in that letter, Joe, they have no evidence to support their disposition. They're just rallying to your defense because they're deep state creatures. Okay, now that we've dismissed that, now let's get back to this. It's not me saying it, not me saying it. It's an email uh, that includes your family members where they talk about you being cut in for a 10% equity stake in a Chinese energy uh, initiative, Chinese energy enterprise. Is that email accurate? Is that uh, authentic, I should say? Is that email authentic? I want to know. Is that email authentic? Secondly, you have, and Trump tried to reference him, a Hunter Biden business partner saying that the email is authentic, that Hunter Biden, your son, ran deals by you, and that you were a material player because the Biden family brand was uh, at stake with all of these uh, foreign forays of Hunter Biden. Just get right to it and put it right between Joe Biden's eyes, even over Kristen Welker. Use your time however you want to use your time. Um, and it, it just it seemed like you just missed the opportunity to really consummate that moment. All right, we're taking more of your calls. 888-291-2222. More uh, Dan Prof Show, more of your calls on our show right after this. Far from the fake news, he's always got the real story. This is the Dan Prof Show. You are fake news. Welcome back to the Dan Prop Show. Phone lines open 888-291-2222. In terms of uh, recurring lines of argumentation, uh, this is one from Trump. 
eight years. Why didn't you get it done? You had eight years to get it done. Now you're saying you're going to get it done because you're all talk and no action. Jim. We got all talk and no action. You had eight years to get this done. You had eight years to get that done. You didn't get it done. And uh, for uh, Joe Biden, a uh, recurring line of argumentation. Come on. 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 Oh, come on. Uh, yeah, he does a great uh, gob from Arrested Development impersonation, does Joe Biden. Uh, let's go to Ben. You're on uh, the Dan Prof Show. Hey, Ben. Hey, how's it going? This is Ben Beerley, uh, Major United States Marine Corps retired. Hey, I might be biased because, you know, I am running for Senate here in uh, State Senate in, in Illinois. But, man, I got to tell you, Trump nailed it tonight he was very presidential in the way he responded and uh biden came off as very reactive okay uh any particular um uh topic where you thought uh trump really made progress uh, thinking about this through the trying to think about this through the mind of the undecided voter you know i i think that he showed that you know he is making progress you know you look at uh you know, the, the COVID-19. Everybody knows that Trump um, was trying to be proactive. And, you know, the president's job is to be positive, to show hope to the, to the nation. And he's done that from the beginning. And he's shown that he's been on top of it. And, and Biden really didn't have any real comeback to that because the fact of the matter is he has been. And, uh, you know, you listen to Biden and what he said on it, it you know, it, it just doesn't win true. All right. Thanks for the call, Ben. Appreciate it. Uh, Mike in Chicago, you're on the Dan Prof show. Hey, Dan. Hey. Uh, I, thought, I thought Trump did a much better job, obviously, than the first time. Uh, but what really bothered me was that there was no questions asked about crime, no questions asked about the rioting. Nothing about Antifa, nothing about BLM of substance. Um, whatever questions were about Hayden Biden, uh, Biden, Hunter Biden were off to the side. Um, and I thought mostly the second half, the questions were really skewed, you know, in favor of, of Biden. Um, and I was a little disappointed that there wasn't a little more of that substance, but overall a much better debate than the first time. Thanks for the call, Mike. Yeah, it's a good point that there was no discussion of, of law and order given uh, the rioting that has occurred for the last several months uh, throughout uh, American cities and uh, some suburban communities, too. You're right. I mean, the, the only crime discussion was, of course, about uh, Joe Biden and his vote for the 1994 crime bill and about the incarceration of minorities about the talk that, uh, as I mentioned before the break, that uh, the talk question that Kristen Walker asked about uh, my, as it pertains to minority families uh, having the talk with their sons or daughters about police. Um, but you know, what about from the police perspective? What about from those Americans who don't have run-ins with law enforcement because they obey the law? There wasn't anything on that. You're right. It actually... Maybe that was a missed opportunity for Trump to address what he has done with respect to, for example, the First Step Act and criminal justice reform. 
but then offer a little bit more balance by saying, here's what we did on this front. But on the other front, you know, uh, the police officers of America are supporting my candidacy because and, and frankly, uh, law abiding residents of urban centers as well as suburban communities should be supporting my presidency, too, because I am not going to turn our streets over this country over to the mob the way that Joe Biden and his Antifa loving party are going to remind people that Antifa, not just an idea, a real thing and a real threat to law and order, to civilization in this country, to peace on our streets. You're right. It was something that was noticeably absent and perhaps, as I said, a missed opportunity for Trump to infuse that into the discussion. Uh, Mad Mac in uh, Griffith, Indiana. Hey, Dan, how you doing? Good. Hey, the reason I know Trump did well tonight, and someone would say, well, what proof do you have? Mm-hmm. Well, as soon as the debate ended, I turned on CNN and looked at Jake Tapper. Jake Tapper looked like he was either going to go into like a seizure or he was having a massive coronary because he could barely speak. He said, oh, it looks like maybe, maybe the vice president took a few hits. Yeah, he took a few hits. And then I turned on Rachel Maddow. And she looked like somebody just banned bad lesbian haircuts from cable TV because she couldn't believe what just happened. (laughs) Trump rolled over grandpa. His diaper clearly has got to be changed probably at least numerous times tonight. I think Donald Trump hit a home run tonight. And I think that guy who was on the news earlier talking about he's got three cell phones in his hand. What does he have on those cell phones? Let's find out. Donald Trump will be the next vice, next president of the United States of America again. All right. Thanks for the call, Mad Mac. Uh, Glenn in the south suburbs of Chicago. Yeah, hello, Dan. How are you doing tonight? Good. Okay, I've got about five points, quick ones I want to make. The first one is Biden, like most politicians and all Democrats, has a response to everything and an answer to nothing. Number two to use uh, indigenous people's language, he speaks with a forked tongue. Case in point, all electric cars, which is a fine idea, but you have to do that without any generation of electricity by nuclear or carbon-based fuels. Number three, uh, Biden really doesn't know that capitalism is what pays for and keeps the U.S. running. Number four, all this Democrats' accomplishment is because of, 30 years ago, the dumbing down of America. And number five, we should go back 200 years to citizen lawmakers, not a lifelong occupation. Thank you, Dan. Thanks, Glenn. Uh, Those were good, five good, succinct points. And, uh, you know, perhaps the moment of the night, certainly I think it will be uh, repeated often uh, by Trump which is the turning to Joe and say, I ran because of you, Joe. I ran because of you. You guys did a bad job, meaning, of course, Obama and Biden. I ran because of you. You had eight years. You had 47 years. I ran because of you. Drain the swamp. Uh, Very consistent with theme. That was a good moment for Trump. Larry, you're on Dan Prof Show. Yeah, I agree. I thought that was an excellent point. I thought uh, you also had a you know, real good analysis of this. I think Dan definitely could have out, uh, out-debated 
uh, Biden on many of these points. But I think the real key was that uh, tonight Trump allowed Biden uh, more airtime. He also did a good job in terms of prompting him to make this admission about the oil industry. I think it was very clear when uh, the point was made relative to Larry. We're no longer going to. Yep, yep. Yep. Got it, Larry. Thanks for the call. We we have to go. We're up against it. More on the Dan Prop Show right after this. Seat and sharpen your pencils. Class is in session with Professor Dan Proft and the Dan Proft Show. Good evening. Welcome back to the Dan Prof Show. Uh, President Trump uh, and Hunter Biden and Hunter Biden, Joe Biden, getting into it over Hunter Biden and also Joe Biden and the Biden Inc. dealings in foreign countries. You mean the laptop is now another Russia, Russia, Russia hoax? And that's exactly be. what. Is this where you Exactly going? what. This is going. where he's going. It's interesting. Um, it was sort of muddled, I think, the effort by Trump to raise the specter of the Hunter Biden computer, the email contents, the statements from Hunter Biden business partners that suggest that Joe Biden was lying, that he knew about Hunter Biden's business dealings, that Hunter Biden ran his business dealings by his father. It was a bit muddled. But that moment where uh, uh, Joe Biden said, yes, it's it's a Russian hoax. Russia, Russia, Russia in President Trump's best Jan Brady impersonation. Uh, that is interesting. That's, uh, you know, he's he's been generic until this point. Smear campaign, garbage from Trump henchmen. Uh, no, it's a Russian hoax again. This is a Russian disinformation campaign, even though those 50 odd uh, deep state signatories on a letter suggesting it smacks of Russian disinformation admitted they had no evidence that it was Russian disinformation, even though the current Department of Justice and FBI leadership said it's not Russian disinformation, even though we learned the FBI opened a money laundering investigation last year and ostensibly subpoenaed Hunter Biden's laptop in connection with that investigation. But for Biden to go to the Russian hoax argument, well, that's very interesting. Uh, I wonder if that provides a more opening and fact i think it does i think it provides at least another day's worth of stories depending on what else the new york post and and peter schweitzer are uncovering as they pour through the information they have that they have yet to disclose for more on all of this plus uh, everything else that was covered in the debate pleased to be joined by professor charles lipson he is professor emeritus political science university of chicago also a contributor to real clear politics and spectator usa Charles, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Thank you, Dan. I'm writing for Spectator USA right now. My uh, my overview of the uh, the debate. Well, so give us give us a little give us give us tease us a little bit. Give us a little preview of the next Lipson column. I'm not a tease. You're going to have to pay more than that <laughs> to take me out on a date, Dan. Um, I. I Here's the way I sort of started off. Tell me what you think. I said, look, if you score it as a boxing match, it looks pretty close to a draw. Both sides got in there. Their punches, neither 
a candidate had to be carried out on a stretcher. But that's the wrong way to look at it. Biden made a whole series of flat statements that are going to come back to haunt him. Because some are just false, and you can prove they're false. I never said super predators. Right. The way I put it in this article is this. I said, as Joe himself might say, just play it for yourself on the Victrola. <laughs> um, uh, the second, he's never wanted to ban fracking. Right. I mean, good Lord. Right. Does he think that people have forgotten repeated statements? I mean, on the one hand, he's trying to make these arguments that he doesn't want to do these things. And on the other, he's promised to phase out the whole oil and gas industry. I think he kind of falls between two stools on that. Uh, but the biggest one is the one that you laid out, this Russia, Russia, Russia. By the way, that was malpractice by the moderator, although I thought she was far better than Chris Wallace, and the whole debate was far better and far more informative. Uh, but that's the point at which she should have stopped and said, look, because this is a controversy and because you're asserting Trump is is uh, is saying you're saying it's a hoax and you're saying this and that. Why don't we take a minute here for you to say is this material true or false? You have it absolutely, absolutely. And she could have stepped in and done it, and 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 President Trump could have been more focused in his prosecution too, and said, "Just tell us if those emails are authentic." Tell us what you know. Tell us that the Hunter Biden partner uh, business partner statements are true or false. What's the answer, Joe? Give us the answers. And and that's and it just exactly didn't it, right. It didn't but happen. that should have been also the job. The moderator when they were talking. Oh, that was one of the few points where they were talking over each other. Yeah, that was the moderator who has. Uh, she just wanted to march. She wanted to get her. through it. I know. Uh, Charles, we're going to come back. Let's pick it up right there when we come back. More with Charles Lipson, Professor Maris of Poli Sci, University of Chicago, right after this. Exposing political fakers, fixers, and takers. He's Dan Prof, and this is The Dan Prof Show. Welcome back to the show. We're speaking with former University of Chicago. I think they say emeritus in academia. Professor Emeritus, Pol- political science, University of Chicago, regular commentator, contributor to Real Clear Politics and Spectator USA. He is Charles Lipson. Charles, uh, before the break, you were talking about uh, some of the statements that uh, Hunter Biden made that are just patently false and easily provable to be that uh, he never said he would ban fracking, and he said that many times during the yeah, primary. I want to I uh, remind you that yeah. emeritus means that I am great with merit. Yes, Th- thank you for reminding and us. That's, that's what I want you to understand. That's how I, I will always remember you. 
Yes. 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 Uh, what do you mean? It sounds like this is a funeral order. Right <laughs> yeah, okay. So let's uh, talk about so, what well, Joe said. Yeah, a couple things. So just so, uh, but I want to yep. get I want to get to rest. So it was it was fracking. Yep. It, this is fairly well established. He supported a ban yep. on fracking in the primary. The uh, reference to uh, 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 predators on our streets, which is a direct quote from Joe Biden yep. uh, during the his 1993 speech in favor of the 1994 crime bill. And then this other matter of Russia, 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 that anything related to questions about his family's business dealings is just Russian disinformation, calling it uh, another hoax. That's what Joe Biden called it. Right. Um, So he didn't say that the China stuff was a hoax. Um, And that's important. Um, But I think that was just an error of omission. I think he has to go all in on this. If any of this stuff is true, it's just incredibly damaging. Don't you think, Dan? Well, I I, I do because, I mean, it's another thing that goes to character, number one. Number two, the more important uh, point, and it was clear that they were prepared for this, as you would expect, when he said, look, we shouldn't be talking about our families. You know, he tried to, to blur the distinctions by talking about Trump's taxes and Trump's business dealings. But we shouldn't be talking about our families. We should be talking about your families. And there was a missed opportunity for Trump to say, well, Joe, you're right. But here's the thing. It turns out that your family leveraged your public office financed by American families to enrich themselves at the expense of those American families. So that sort of preying upon American families is absolutely a conversation we should have. And I go back to the questions, bang, uh, we talked about before the break. Tell me whether or not those emails are authentic and tell me whether or not the statement made by Hunter Biden's business partner that you uh, were involved and that Hunter went to you uh, with business deals and got your insight, approval, uh, uh, commentary, what have you, input. Tell me if that's true or not. Tell us if those things are true. That's right. You are so right. And the news that broke tonight uh, is that the uh, business partner of Hunter's actually spoke directly with Joe Biden, he says, about these business issues. Now, Joe wasn't vice president at the time. There are other things that implicate him as vice president. That is, he met with people who were part of Hunter's sort of consulting business operation, making Hunter quite a lot of money uh, while Joe was vice president. But the, uh, the meetings that involve a partnership with China occurred afterwards, mm-hmm. but it's important to recognize that very much like all the money that was flowing into the Clinton Foundation when Hillary uh, was no longer Secretary of State, she was anticipated to be the next Democratic nominee. So people were buying, uh, uh, they were buying futures. You know, they were right, buying of course, all of course. options. Well, yeah, I right. mean, what, what are they, I, I mean, you know, to put it in Rudy Giuliani's parlance, so what, what do you think the Chinese were buying or anybody's buying? You think they're buying a guy who can't stay off crack for two days or are they buying a vice president? That's Giuliani's right, statement. Right, but what's important about this guy who has now come forward is that he is uh, he has it in his documents. I mean, these are not just his statements. Uh, first of all, he seems like a reliable guy. I mean, I assume 
if he looked up a pornographic site when he was in the seventh grade, we'll know it by the weekend because, you know, the Democratic operatives will go after him. But the, the fact is, he will go under oath. I assume they'll try to put him under, uh, the Republicans will try to get him under oath in the, in the next uh, few days. I mean, that's the time it matters to say under oath that Joe Biden was involved in dealings with the communist Chinese who were trying to buy political influence. And if he makes that statement, and if the documents that are coming out of the computer in uh, Delaware, uh, which are separate, uh, if those uh, uh, are validated, authenticated, then I think it's a real problem for Joe because, not only because people don't want to have a corrupt president, but because very much like the guy running for Senate in North Carolina, who was just running completely on his integrity and then was caught sleeping with the uh, wife of, uh, of another, a fellow soldier who was stationed overseas. You know, you can't, his, his whole uh, I'm Mr. Integrity uh, Act begins to go down the drain. Well, so so this this may be the big takeaway from tonight, as you say, you know, maybe on yeah. points this was a draw. But so the big takeaway is what's going to be the takeaway. Uh, and, it, and it could be that Joe Biden has given air to this story of Biden, Inc., and that dominates the last 12 days of the campaign. I um, but there's a risk for Trump in that. It's not Trump's strongest issue. Right. It may be Biden's weakest, but it's not Trump's strongest. Trump's strongest issue is what most people care about. Who's going to bring me back my job? And um, to the extent, I mean, I would have liked to seen a much cleaner sense from Trump. His, his basic point is I'm, I'm lessening needless regulations and I'm cutting taxes. Joe's going to raise taxes and increase regulations. You can ask yourself which is going to do a better job reviving our economy. Now, Joe would come back and say, but we're going to do a lot more public spending uh, and so forth. Where's that money going to come from, Trump would say. But, I mean, it's uh, the economy, uh, 56% of people, according to polls, better Trump off. is doing a better job. Yeah, we're get, Charles, we got to leave it there. Professor Emeritus, Poli Sci, University of Chicago, Charles Lipson, thanks for joining us. Good to talk to you, Dan. Far from the fake news, he's always got the real story. This is the Dan Proft Show. You are fake news. You know, Joe, I I ran because of you. I ran because of Barack Obama, because you did a poor job. If I thought you did a good job, I would have never run. Uh I would have never run. (laughs) I ran because of you. I'm looking at you now. You're a politician. I ran because of you. I'm looking at you now. You're a politician. I ran because of you. That'll be certainly one of the takeaways. Uh, CNN's uh, poll has 53% saying Biden won the debate, 39% saying Trump. For to be that close on CNN... That's a pretty good indication for Trump. Let's take a couple calls before we call it a night. 888-291-2222. Jim in Naperville, Illinois. You know, Dan, I'll tell you what. Uh, 
Biden just looked old. I thought his duchess were about ready to fall out. I mean, uh, you got to add an A to your three P's of debate, at least when the, in this kind of situation, because appearance is everything and in this regard. And uh, beyond that, his in addition to that other quote you just mentioned, he uh, when when uh, Trump mentioned, hey, I'm not a politician, when Joe went on his rant and, and, and was uh, uh, spewing his uh, palum, in uh, his uh, political rant, uh, you know, and then Trump called him on it. Was you know, I'm so glad that somebody finally called on him, just pulling that. And it just you mean was, uh, so that was one of the best. Call, call, essentially saying, you know, this is what politicians do. This, uh, this is this is canned. This is contrived. Was what the implication, right? Exactly, exactly. And 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 he did in the first debate, and it just drove me nuts. And I'm just so and when he pulled it on this one and, and Trump was able to get it in there and say and push the moderator and get his comment in and say, look, that was can't that was canned yep. political garbage. Thanks. You know? Thanks and that the, was just as important as what you mentioned. Thanks for the call, Jim. Appreciate it. Uh, Appreciate and, it. Uh, uh, let's try that. Andrew in Twinsburg, Ohio. You're on Chicago's or you're on uh, Dan Prop Show, I should say. Yeah, Trump was uh, calm and collected tonight, and I enjoyed that. But on this minimum wage, when Democrat, Democrats always bring this issue up, and it's completely irrelevant, only 2.3% of American workers make the federal minimum wage. It is completely irrelevant, so I just hope Republicans can address this issue in the future. Thanks for the call, Andrew. Uh, let's end with Mike in Yorkville, Illinois. Dan, good evening. Hey, you know, there's... If you really want to find out who the true winner of this debate was, I was always trying to challenge people to go ahead and turn off the TV or just not look at their TV and just listen to the candidates because there was distinctly two different styles. One guy answered questions, gave details. The other one gave hokey political answers and avoided certain things that were being mentioned or questioned to him. Thanks for the call, Mike. Appreciate it. We'll have to call it a night there. We'll uh, pick this up tomorrow, I'm sure, as the uh, postmortem on the debate uh, continues into Friday. Thanks, everyone, for joining us on this Thursday night post-debate edition of The Dan Prof Show. Grab a good seat and sharpen your pencils. Class is in session with Professor Dan Proft and The Dan Proft Show.